Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome back to the Elephant in the Room podcast, the podcast of the Georgetown University College Republicans. I'm your host, Ian Cruz, and I hope you all had a very Merry Christmas and a blessed holiday season and are looking forward to the new year. I certainly am, and it'll be a very exciting year as we have a lot of consequential decisions to make as conservatives in America and what exactly is the conservative movement? What do what direction do we want to take it in before the big 2024 general election? So the new year coming in fresh beginnings and a new start in 2023. That'll be the theme of this episode. And I thought it'd be interesting to go through an A to Z of what a conservative 2023 will look like and go through some of the key moments that you all should be paying attention to this year that maybe will go under the radar, that the national media won't necessarily like to talk about, nor will the state parties like to talk about, given that they're issues that only politically engaged people tend to follow, which all of you are if you listen to this podcast. So without further ado, let's get started. First up, we have abortion, and this issue hits close to home because on the 21st of January, so the day after the March for Life, Georgetown will be hosting the Cardinal O'Connor Conference on Life. You can learn more at theoconnorconference.com. But at the more macro level, what will conservative state legislatures do now that we live in a post-Roe America? For B, we have blue-collar workers. Are the future of the Republican coalition, if we want to win nationally, given the trends in the Rust Belt and the Sun Belt, and the need to win states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, to keep the Republicans electorally viable? For C, we have the chairman of the Republican National Committee election between lawyer Harmeet Dillon and incumbent Ronna McDaniel. And this could def- decide how effective the RNC is moving forward. And it, where you lie is due to the question, your thoughts on the question, do we need new leadership? Now for D, we have the debt ceiling. This could be the most wonky uh, choice I've put on this list just because it is such a more niche policy question. And the debt ceiling, of course, is ensuring that America doesn't default on its debt. But it also provides a lot of leverage to the opposition party if they control a chamber of Congress, which the Republicans will will do after January 3rd. And so how will the House Republicans leverage the debt ceiling in order to get other policy wins when negotiating with President Biden? Now to E, we have the 2024 election. I know, we're in 2023. Well, the campaign is already underway for 2024. I already have President Trump announcing his his, uh, campaign for re-election. And we are widely anticipating President Biden to make an announcement in early 2023 as to whether he will run. At the same time, we will have the new electoral map, now with the, the new census factored in, taken into effect, and how that could potentially sway how both Republicans and Democrats campaign. Now for F, we have the Freedom Caucus and its role in the new Republican House majority. Now that Freedom Caucus is seen as the vote Kevin McCarthy needs to win over in order to secure his speakership election. However, the Freedom Caucus is, of course, running a tough bargain, as it was expected, especially when it comes to the issue of rules, i.e. how Congress operates. Now, 
Republicans have been frustrated with how omnibus bills have been, have been crafted, and the Freedom Caucus wants to make sure that giant bills like omnibus bills can never hit the floor. And that is one thing that they really want McCarthy to do, in addition to providing the opportunity to remove the speaker if they see McCarthy being unfit or against the Republican or conservative agenda. Now, for G, we have Marjorie Taylor Greene and her potential spot on the Oversight Committee. Ever since the 2022 midterms, and we had a clear sense that Republicans were going to take back majority control of the House of Representatives, Congresswoman Green has been a huge advocate of Kevin McCarthy, the current minority leader, to become Speaker. Many have questioned why she has done so, given her hardcore conservative views and Kevin McCarthy being branded by some of them on the more right flank of the GOP as a rhino or too liberal or too moderate of a Republican to be Speaker in a time in which we need to stand up for our principles and our values. So Marcella Green, will she get those committees? I think that will come down to whether McCarthy wins a speakership, but she's certainly making a name for herself among the caucus after being expelled from committees in the past, in the previous Congress due to Democratic majorities and other rhino Republicans voting against her. Now for H, we have Hispanics moving to the right. And why? I would point to three words, God, family, and country. And it is this messaging that can really flip areas like the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, as we saw in 2020, and Miami and South Florida, as we saw in 2020 and in 2022. I think those are the three pillars of Hispanic or Latino culture. They recognize how blessed they are to be in America. Family is a huge part of their culture. And of course, God is, is as well, given that many of them are devout Catholics or are at least nominally Catholic. And so that, of course, has influenced their politics and their culture as well. Now, for I, we have independence. Are they truly independent? I mean, looking at some of the data from 2022, we saw Democrats do much better with independence than the overall result. For example, in Pennsylvania, John Fetterman won independence by 20 percentage points, despite only winning statewide by only about three to five points. Marco Rubio, on the other hand, also did poorly with independence. He won independence, unlike Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, but he only won them by one point when the result in Florida was much more favorable to Rubio. And even in Ohio, Congressman Tim Ryan won independence despite losing the state of Ohio by around seven percentage points in the midterms. Now for Jay, we have the January 6th committee is gone. G-O-N-E, gone, as we know it. The moment Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger crying about January 6th, will no longer be in place as soon as Republicans take majority control on the 3rd of January. Now move on to K, which is for the Kentucky gubernatorial election. So one of a few elections taking place this year in January. It is arguably the most important statewide election that is taking place this year as the Democratic incumbent Andy Bashir is seen as relatively difficult to beat. But Republicans, I think, have a strong field of candidates. They have a few that are are the front runners, such as incumbent attorney general of Kentucky, Daniel Cameron, who was already endorsed by President Trump. You have former UN ambassador Kelly Kraft and agriculture commissioner Ryan Quarles. Among that group, Daniel Cameron is seen as the favorite and is expected to win the nomination. However, there's a lot of time between now and November, and we'll see how each of them stack up against the incumbent Andy Bashir. Now for L, we have Louisiana gubernatorial election. This as well as another opportunity for Republicans to flip 
uh, a governorship, which is currently held by incumbent Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards. Now, Louisiana's system is a little bit different because they have a jungle primary, meaning every candidate, regardless of party, appears on the same ballot. The GOP seems to have coalesced around Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry, who has been endorsed by the Louisiana Republican Party, as well as Donald Trump Jr., which shows his support among that faction of the Republican Party. However, Senator John Kennedy is contemplating a run for that seat, and that, of course, could throw a wrench into the mix and might divide Republicans. Now, for M, we have the Maricopa County election scandal that took place in the 2022 midterms and its effects in 2023 and beyond on election integrity messaging by the Republican Party. Will Republicans continue their messaging of election, the election uh, fraud and that these elections were stolen? That is yet to be seen. However, I think it really highlights the need for the Republican Party to change their strategy and getting out their vote and saying, don't just vote on election day, vote early, vote early in person, because if they have issues like the voting machines in Maricopa County, Arizona, then they have another day that they could potentially go and vote as well. Now for N, we have the new senators and representatives coming into the new Congress and how they reflect the changing Republican Party. In the current Congress, the one that's outgoing, roughly 10% are women or minorities in this new con and in this new caucus, it's a that number has doubled to roughly twenty percent in the Senate and the House of Representatives. Now, this I think is an interesting development, seeing how the Republican Party is marketing the conservative agenda to people from all walks of life, and I think this backs that up, and it shows that conservatives can come from all backgrounds, all walks of life, which I think will have positive repercussions for the party's image nationally. Now, for O, we have Ohio as Trump country. The election of J.D. Vance reflects Ohio State as a red state and the bastion of Trumpism, especially as popular incumbent, uh, popular incumbent representative, I should say. Uh, Tim Ryan out of, in Northeast Ohio, he was seen in a very blue collar area, ran against J.D. Vance and still lost. He ran on very, I would say, Trumpy position saying, I'm tough on China, especially on trade. And he still lost, showing that J.D. Vance and the Ohio electorate are united in their stances and that Trumpism has really been the reason why Ohio has gone from that bellwether state that Republicans need to win to have a shot of winning the presidency to now being a, a near lock in any election. This is interesting as well to note in the in the very contested 2024 Senate race in Ohio and how that might play out. Now for P, I have parents, which I believe to be the future of the conservative coalition as education reemerges into the political spotlight, as seen in Loudoun County in Virginia and Glenn Youngkin's effective campaign to win the votes of parents in traditionally very blue counties, such as Loudoun County, Fairfax County, and Northern Virginia. And I think it's a way of winning back the suburban vote for the Republicans that wasn't really maximized in the 2022 midterms. So keep an eye out for that of how the GOP messages to parents' interests. Now for Q, I have quiet conservatives and their role in the conservative movement, that there is a need for subtle acts of resistance against leftist mobs, particularly on college campuses. Just simply ignoring questions about pronouns or asking difficult questions in class when a leftist viewpoint is seen as a consensus, just in a positive, lighthearted way to show that there isn't any antagonism taking place, I think will start to move the needle. Of course, it's just one act. 
I think that that's one way in which quiet conservatives, I think, have a very important role in the movement. As we saw in 2016, the silent majority stands with Trump. And I think that the silent majority, the, the quiet conservatives, have a very important role to play. Now, for R, I have Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida and Florida's rightward surge as a whole. We saw Florida go from the king of all swing states to conservative stronghold. Governor DeSantis did, had a larger margin of victory in Florida than Gavin Newsom had in California. Yes, you heard that right. DeSantis did better in Florida than Newsom did in California. And I think that that shows how Florida might, in fact, be replacing Texas as the big conservative state. Now, for us, we have the House speakership election. There is some division within the Republican caucus as to whether they support Kevin McCarthy, the incumbent minority leader. And what will Kevin McCarthy give up to the right flank, you could argue, is who's criticizing him, in order to become speaker? As I mentioned with the Freedom Caucus, he's had to give up the the rules, a lot of rules issues to the Freedom Caucus, potentially giving Marjorie Taylor Greene a seat on the Oversight Committee, among other things, since he can only lose four votes, since the Republican majority is only 222 seats strong, only losing four votes to keep a 218 majority is the threshold that Kevin McCarthy will need to hit in order to win that race. Now for T, we have President Trump returning to the political scene as he begins his presidential campaign after a couple of years of being somewhat in the dark and not being a, a, a normal name that has been talked about is a force in politics where uh, he could, he's actually up on the ballot. He's backed in that spotlight since he is trying to secure the Republican Party's nomination for 2024. And of course, uh, go after President Biden and his failure, failed leadership over the first half of his administration. Now, U is for the Ukraine funding. Will House Republicans pull the plug or will the status quo remain? I think is a very interesting point to watch. Kevin McCarthy previously signaled uh, his intentions to cut down the aid that the U.S. government would be sending to Ukraine. Of course, we're seeing messaging from the right wing of the Republican caucus that they want to audit the Ukraine aid and they want to really cut Ukraine funding in order to give that money to the American people rather than a, a foreign country thousands of miles away. Now going to V, we have Virginia coming back to the Republican Party. Yes, Virginia, a state that Joe Biden won by over by around 10 percentage points in 2020, might have a Republican trifecta by the year's end, given there are state legislative elections in Virginia this November. Of course, Governor Glenn Youngkin is not up for re not up for election this year. However, the Virginia State Senate and the Virginia State House of Delegates are. Republicans currently control the House of Delegates with a 52-seat majority, and the Virginia State Senate Democrats have a one-seat majority, meaning that Republicans only need to net gain that one seat in order to tie the Virginia State Senate, giving Lieutenant Governor Winston Sears a tie-breaking vote, similar to how the Senate worked in the, the outgoing Congress, and in fact, giving Virginia Republicans total control of the state government. Now, for W, we have wokeness on college campuses. And then this reflects the need to bring more conservative voices to campus and start asking the hard questions and bringing up the difficult issues that need to be discussed. And even in casually in conversation that you might have with your friends, just probe about why people think the way that they do. Don't appear hostile. 
don't necessarily see yourself as a political operative in that sense. But just ask questions why they think the way that they do, just to understand that. Because understanding opposing viewpoints helps the Republicans and conservatives to actually take down those arguments and actually find counterarguments that could be very effective in proving our point. Now, for X, we have xenophobia in the Republican Party due to a tougher stance on immigration. I phrase this as a form of a question. It may not have come out that way, but is that really the case? After seeing record number uh, a record number of illegal immigrants, so we've had nine consecutive months over two hundred thousand illegal crossings at our southern border. And the Republicans going hard on board with the border security message in the twenty twenty two midterms. It has been constantly on conservative media outlets like Fox News. They're talking about it because it is such an affront to American sovereignty. Title forty two, which granted the uh granted borders the border troops some additional provisions to keep our borders secure is safe for now it was saved by the supreme court after the biden administration was thinking about repealing title 42 so the border issue i don't think is going anywhere and it'll be interesting to know whether this pace of illegal crossings will continue going into 2023 whether there will be a spike or whether there will be a drop because i think that will definitely affect how republicans and Democrats alike talk about this issue. Now, for why we have young people, how can the Republican Party reach out to America's youth? I would say the GOP needs a stronger online presence. I'd like to applaud our, our team here at the Elephant in the Room for trying to get our voice out there on campus, whether that also be on social media, on advertising, and also making the conservative social policies more likable and making and making them more appealing to young voters as we saw with congressional candidate caroline levitt in new hampshire who was only 25 years old she also highlighted that republicans need to have a stronger nationwide grassroots organization democrats are able to do this and if we want to have a chance of winning elections in the future we need to play the democrats game now for z last but not least we have lee zeldin now, Lee Zeldin became a pretty strong force in the Republican Party, at least in the state of New York, and during the 2022 midterm campaign, as he came very, very close to flipping the state of New York, a state that Joe Biden won by over 20 percentage points against President Trump. Lee Zeldin only lost by around 5%. And I think a lot of that is due to his ability to campaign in the bluest areas, the purplest areas, and the reddest areas of New York, and he has certainly taken to social media now to say what the Republican Party needs to change in order to appeal to more Americans after his strong performance in the state of New York and winning groups that never historically support Republicans. He was winning Orthodox Jewish communities that said, hey, if you're in this community, you should vote for Lee Zeldin for governor, but then like Chuck Schumer for uh, Senate, Latita James for Attorney General, and D the Democrats down ballot. Lee Zeldin was the only Republican on that list. And I think the GOP, not only in New York, but across all 50 states, need to learn how to campaign just as Lee Zeldin, because we can no longer ignore urban voters or assume Democratic voters. Otherwise, we're just doomed to lose. Anyway, that's all for me. I hope you enjoyed this A through Z of a conservative 2023, what to look out for. And please be sure to get involved in any way that you can with the conservative movement if you are interested. Be sure to follow all of us at Georgetown University College Republicans at 
Georgetown Republicans on Instagram and then at Georgetown CR on Facebook and Twitter. Also be sure to rate this podcast five stars on the podcast streaming platform of your choice. Really appreciate it and gives us a boost to continue pumping out great content for all you guys. And without further ado, I wish you all a very blessed 2023 and that this year may be full of joy and happiness for you and your families. Now, you hopefully uh, are able to implement your New Year's resolutions uh, this year and that we can all have a happier and healthier 2023. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.